That was better, right, at the end? Welcome to week two of our well-being series, which, as you know, was meant to occur last weekend. But then, Wisco being Wisco, sure, we'd love a foot and a half of snow and huge drifts in the middle of April. Me and my sons, that's our thing. We love it. It's the best quality time we spend together. Woohoo! We started a couple of weeks ago talking about this concept of well-being, this really foreign to us in the world we live in idea of an inner life, our body, mind, soul, and spirit shaped by and renewed by relationship with God, by the spirit of God. We also realized very clearly as if we needed more confirmation that we live in a world in a time as all times have been, but ours to us because we live now that causes so much imbalance everywhere, so much fear more and more reasons to panic and lose hope at every turn, more expectations and responsibilities than we have time in a day. So we get stuck. We get tired. We feel empty. Our minds race with overwhelming scenarios where nothing's going to work out. And there's just not time to devote to renewal of our inner life. It sounds luxurious, but it would require me to have a different life, to have time to focus on that other guy's inner life that I could be someday. We need, we need, and we know this, we need more awareness of what's going on in there. A lot of times we operate clueless about it. We need to know, but for that awareness to happen, we need to seek God in prayer. To pray We need to slow down long enough to actually pray real words. And to make sense of life, we need perspective from the word of God. But I know that. We know that. We need those things. But my reality in my personal life has been those kinds of things. The things God says I really need, and I know I need them, seem too difficult to achieve. Too overwhelming and time-consuming to fit in. Too impossible to get right. It already tells me in the book that I fall short of what the book tells me to do. So I'm defeated before I even begin. I mean, those are the kinds of defeated thoughts we think about sometimes that I think about in my inner life, my inner life, the place where I'm really me, my thoughts, feelings, my mind, soul, and spirit. I got to be honest, my inner life. My reality there has been a struggle for well-being. I think in some ways it's been a journey toward well-being. But every step has been shaped very significantly, significantly by things like these. Anxiety, depression, fear, hopelessness. The four horsemen of the inner life apocalypse, I call them. Now, I'm like anybody else. I've had normal life change anxieties. We all have that. I've had adrenaline-fueled, insecure types of anxiety before. What am I going to do for a job when I grow up? I still don't know sometimes. Where am I going to go to college? I'm getting married in an hour. I got to choke down this saltine quick or I'm going to pass out when I'm up there. Holy moly, oh my gosh, we're having a kid. Life transition stuff. You know the stuff where you've been preparing and even though you've been preparing, ah, catches you off guard. Stage fright, nervous for a test, big meeting tomorrow. That kid I mentioned is going to be driving soon. He's sitting over there. I won't point him out specifically, but his name's Ian, and he's wearing a red flannelish looking shirt. 
that kind of anxiety. Now that should cause us all some anxiety. (laughs) Typical dad. What I'm talking about isn't the stuff that's shaped by temporary circumstances. What I'm talking about goes deeper. The stuff that sticks with you, the stuff that won't go away, the stuff that is about chemical imbalances in the human brain, health issues, the kind of thing where getting stuck becomes a permanent state. And stuck means these things, anxiety, depression, fear, and hopelessness. Every day, attached to everything, defining life inside and out, distorting life inside and out, I'll say. I've had clinical depression and anxiety for over half my life starting diagnosed when I was 20. But I've felt all of these things, and there are many variations, my entire life. And I still deal with this. I work to manage this with medication. I work to manage this through healthy practices, through different tools I've picked up over the years. The different kinds of anxieties, just so I can give you kind of a rundown. So if you're sitting out there and you're like, okay, I go to a church. I wonder if anybody in that church gets where I'm at right now. Try this on for size. I've been at rock bottom with the anxiety of drug withdrawal. Physically, mentally sick, just skin crawling, feeling possessed. I've been hopeless about pretty much everything there is. On my worst days, I should change my name to Mr. Worst Case Scenario. You ever been there? Like everything I project into an imagined future is totally hopeless and the worst case scenario possible. And then I feel in this moment, in reality, that's reality. And if that's reality, then I might as well not even try. I felt crushing depression that paralyzes me, immobilizes me. I've had a mental breakdown years ago. I don't know if they still call it this, but a nervous breakdown is what I called it at the time. It's all I knew what to call it. I got stuck in this anxiety-fueled, hopeless loop, this thought that ran on a loop through my mind for several days in a row. I couldn't even form words. I couldn't physically speak at first. I've had anxiety that makes me grip my bed in fear in the quiet, dark hours of the morning when nobody else is awake truly, legitimately terrified of even the smallest things I'm supposed to do that day. It's all too much. And I know in that moment, I am so weak. I'm so mentally fragile. What do I do? I wish the day, I wish all of my responsibilities, I wish all of the expectations on me waiting for me to do stuff, things that hinge on my participation would just all disappear. I go through bouts of depression Every once in a while, still, that exhausts me, make me chronically cynical, hopeless about that, you know, bleak, imagined future that's going to happen for real, seeing nothing. When I look around, nothing redeeming in the world in those seasons, nothing, no hope. And I know all the cliche Christian answers, too, so you can't fool me. I don't buy it on my worst days. I struggle to believe it on my worst days. And I'm also a child of God. I'm also someone who profoundly knows God's love. I am not anything close to what I used to be. I've been transformed big time inside and out because of Jesus, because of the life I found in him. But reality has not always or even often felt like that consistently. It was the spring of 96 
In my dorm room at UW River Falls, back when I was feeling all the anxiety of like, what the heck am I going to do when I grow up now? It was the end of my freshman year. It was the first time I experienced what I would come to know as clinical depression and anxiety. I had discovered drugs that year, then more drugs. And I was putting on a performance for everyone who knew me, doing okay on the surface. We learn very quickly how to be good actors. We adapt, we convince ourselves and everybody else around us on the surface. But I was empty on the inside and I couldn't outrun my emptiness anymore, spiraling out of control on the outside. And it wouldn't be my last battle with addiction and substances and my own choices, but it was the first time I at least tried to take it seriously. My life was a mess and I was 19, knew very little about life. And in the mess of that life, I became aware of something else, something heavy, something oppressive is in here, in here with me now. And it's not going away. And I need real help. Because this now is a lid that has closed down over my emotional world and my experience of life, and I cannot get out from under it. I need real help. Except, like I said, I was 19, and we didn't talk about depression and anxiety then like we do now, 20-some years later. I didn't know what I was dealing with. I didn't know where I was supposed to turn. I knew I had zero well-being in that inner life we've been talking about. But I did something, <laughs> and I still don't know why. I did something that I never did, that I never took seriously, that I always took way too lightly. And I sunk to my knees with my barely used NIV serendipity study Bible in my hand, a gift to me to go to college and never use. I was just wrecked, just crying in my dorm room. Thank God my roommate had just moved out at the end of the year and it was just me in there. And I opened up my Bible thinking to myself, what am I doing? This is so dumb. This is so cheesy. And I cracked it open to a passage of eight verses in the Psalms that I didn't expect to encounter, but they have again and again over these, the next, what would be 20, now 22 years since then, they again and again have offered me hope in different seasons of dealing with an inner life reality of anxiety, struggle and fear and hopelessness and depression. Now, I want to make it really clear. These verses are not a magic formula. These verses are not a solution or a fix they are something else. They're a way to find hope. It's a way to find hope for me many times over. Now, I'm going to share them with you, and we'll walk through them in just a little bit. Here are those eight verses from Psalm 119. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I still remember what it felt like to read that for the first time. I recounted my ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Let me understand the teaching of your precepts. Then I will meditate on your wonders. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. I've chosen the way of truth. 
I've set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands. For you have set... You've set my heart free. Now, the 1984 you see up there is important. It's not just the NIV, it's the 1984 NIV. And I just have a soft spot in my heart for it ever since that day. That was the specific translation in which my heart first began to change through the truth of God's word. Now, there's some specific wording right there at the end. And it's the... I. I run. You've set my heart free that they've changed in later versions of the NIV. It's not a good or bad thing. I mean, to me, it's bad because I love the 1984. But it's, this 1984 classic is significant to me. That day in my dorm room was the first time I discovered in a fully conscious, right now, for today kind of way, that prayer is about reality. That's why to seek well-being, we encourage you to journey into prayer. Because when you don't know what to do with your reality, out there, you can go somewhere in here. This passage is a prayer. This is someone in prayer communicating very openly with God. And, And in this prayer, I realized, oh my goodness, I have felt that before. I feel that right now. Wait a minute. What this person is expressing, I've experienced that. This prayer spoke to someone's reality, their real reality, not their Instagram reality or whatever the ancient version of that was. Carve your face on a tablet looking perfect with your perfect family on a stone tablet, right? Or a Facebook reality, but their inner life reality where they felt things for real. What benefit to anyone? To us now reading these words, what benefit if this writer held back and made this a more polite, pretending kind of prayer? Prayer is about reality, real reality. And that awareness hit home in that dorm room for me. Reality out there, what I'm doing with my life affects my reality in here, in my inner life, and vice versa. What's going on in here and what's going on up here affects my reality out there. So I started to take an inventory, kind of like what Pastor Paul encouraged us to do at the end of his message last week. And if you haven't, please do. I began to just mentally list through things, trying to identify, to offer to God in prayer, things like this. This is my inventory then. I feel dead on the inside. I can't do this. I need help. I want to change and I don't know how. I want freedom from all this. I need you, God. And in the simplest acknowledgement of where I was at, I was able to unload in a real way for the first time that reality of anxiety and fear and the shame. And then what I experienced in place of all that was mercy and relief and renewal, a fresh start. In fact, on the inside where I was dead, I started to feel like not alive yet, but like I wanted to be and maybe it actually was possible. And then I also saw, and it finally began to stick in there after a lifetime of religious instruction, 
that God's word is about reality. Seems so simple. But the words in the Bible suddenly weren't just words in an old, boring book anymore. These words, God's word, communicated something true and real to me. It meant something true and real, and I could understand the meaning of it and say, wow, this has truth for me that can help me. I had never known that as a real thing. Not like that. I felt this new understanding on the inside. God's word isn't about discovering the secret to figuring out the world out there. It's deeply about figuring out the world in here, on the inside, our inner life. And I learned I could take essentially the same approach to God's word as I did to prayer. I get to go into this aware of and honest about reality because God's word is about reality. God's word is full of truth into which his Holy Spirit loves to guide us. I began to trust that God's word, that old boring book could have life, could have truth and hope even for me in my reality of anxiety and depression. It's come back to me again and again, a guidance system, I would call it, on my journey through life in many ways, in many different seasons. These eight verses have given me a way to hope in an anxious reality. Isn't that what we long for? Give me something real. Give me something I can sink my teeth into. Give me a way to hope, surrounded by anxiety on all sides. And we're all different. We all experience life differently. But as human beings, we have many things in common, including our tendency to struggle with various forms of mental health concerns, emotions, struggles in those ways, places in our inner lives where we just deeply struggle. The degree of struggle is different for all of us, but I think we can all agree a way to hope, even in an anxious reality, is something we all look for. And I want you to know that We need it all the time, and God makes it available all the time. These eight verses from Psalm 119, as we walk through them, we'll see them as a microcosm of what prayer and what God's word can do for the reality of an inner life filled with anxiety of any kind. It doesn't have to be the worst or the mildest anywhere on that continuum where you find yourself. It's for you. I believe these verses have a chance to offer you Every one of you, hope, even a little bit at first. The prayer in God's word really can offer you something real. Guidance and comfort and help and wisdom for every reality. Here's the first thing that grabbed me about these verses. You gotta say it like it is. Say it like it really is. This is not about pretending. This is not about making it pretty. These I am statements we see in here are super powerful. They show awareness. There's no hiding or pretending. The ESV translation for verse 25, we see it as I am laid low in the dust from the 1984 classic NIV. But in the ESV, it says, my soul clings to the dust as if my soul has a tenacious grip on the lowest, most low point I can get to in my life, the very dirty, dusty elements of the broken downedness bits of creation, that's me. That's what my soul is clinging to right now. This is a soul melting 
insomnia causing kind of sorrow, kind of anxious sorrow here. But who wants to admit that? If that's what reality is, who wants to walk around saying that? That's bad stuff. We don't talk about bad feelings in the upper Midwest, Mr. Schultz. We don't like to admit when things are bad, even when they really are. We find ways to pretend they're not, right? When offered the standard greeting of, hey, how are you? We don't often respond with things like, oh, you know, I'm laid low in the dust there. (laughs) Do we? We don't say that with good reason. But it would be honest. Right? It would be honest. And if seeking God in prayer is about reality, we've got to be honest. It's not reality otherwise. So say it like it really is. If we don't, we can't go further. At some point, the dam's got to break and reality's got to come pouring out. Real reality for us. So whatever reality you've held back of sin, of struggle, of an inner life battle that no one else knows about right now, at some point, we have to say it like it is or it's not reality. With God, say it like it really is. With the people who love you, Say it like it really is, what you're really feeling, what you're going through. Start with I am, and then just tell the truth. Just be honest. It felt so foreign at first to say things like, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells, like I'm just so scared. Or my anxiety is so bad, my arms, the skin on my arms just is tingling and makes me feel like, Something terrible is going to happen at any second. Or I'm transitioning to a new med. You ever been there? Woo! What an adventure that can be. And I feel really weird all of a sudden. Be like, like things are popping, like electricity in my brain. Or like I just, for no reason, just out of nowhere, I just can't go into this building or I can't be around people. Or I'm terrified to ever walk back into working at a church or trusting people ever again, whatever your situation is. It was weird and embarrassing kind of to say that, but it was honest. I couldn't be helped past the point that I was willing to say it like it really is. The second thing these verses show is that you've got to be as desperate as you really are. This is where we love to pretend. Be as desperate as you really are. Look at these verses up here. Preserve my life. Like, do the bare minimum and that'll be something. Just keep me barely alive. Strengthen me. Do not let me be put to shame. I want to I let you know that if your reality right now here tonight is desperate, and if it feels desperate, then before your God, be as desperate as you really are. Admit it. Embrace your need for God's help. These verses are written by someone crying out in desperation. Keep me alive. I'm so empty. I've got nothing. Now, I found a lot of ways back in the day to get my hands on and to use opioids and amphetamines. And probably my most desperate was just on the heels of my nervous breakdown in 2005. Connected in a big way to not being able to use for a few days, I'm sure. And it compounded my already hyper-pronounced anxiety and depression. I rocked back and forth. I will never forget what it felt like. It's like another lifetime. I rocked back and forth on the couch in our little tiny living room on the east side hill in Eau Claire, reciting scripture. I'd never done this. Reciting scripture, feeling like I wanted to die, like 
what if I permanently get stuck feeling this way? God, just preserve my life. Do the bare minimum, anything, bring any relief. But this is not just about desperation to be temporarily helped in the moment. It actually forms into a desperate desire for an entirely new thing. And so in my weakest moments, all I can do is say, preserve my life. As I grew in my faith through these challenges, I began to say things like, fill me, strengthen me, revive me. Don't just keep me alive, give me life. I've had enough of feeling humiliated and crushed and defeated. Lift me up, God, help me stand. Give me hope and courage according to your word. This is a a hope, a prayer based on things you, God, have said that you have put in motion. What you communicate to your people, your word says you've got me, you love me and you're with me and you won't let me fall. So come on, I'm desperate here. These verses also show some of the results of an inner life where a person has decided to learn God's way. Verse 26, I recounted my ways and you answered me. Verse 29, keep me from deceitful ways. Verse 30, I have chosen the way of truth. Now, way here means something closer to direction, all right? To learn God's way means to learn in an inner life and in a way that guides the outer life that there's a direction we're meant to be traveling in. And the writer of this prayer is saying, God, I told you my whole story. All my ways, every step of the journey, every direction, every road I've taken, what I've done, where I've been, leading right up to where I am right now in this moment. I've deceived myself. I've been a pretender, a poser, a performer. Don't let me do that anymore. Turn me aside from those old paths so I don't lose my way. I don't want to go back. I want to make a new decision based in truth. I choose your direction and what you say, God, I choose to not listen to what anxiety tells me. Recount your ways. It's like confession. It's being honest. And when we do that, it's powerful. Bring God everything that you've got. Tell God everything. And like the verse says, you answered. I recounted my ways and you answered me. God will answer you. God will begin to teach you and guide you. And again, according to your word, it says, God, I'm doing this and asking for this and I'm being as desperate in my life as I really am and I'm saying it like it really is because you told me to. So now you hold up your end. Do what you've promised to do and help me learn your direction but then it's not just about moving in the right direction either, is it? We don't just learn God's way. We also learn God's way, God's way. See what I did there? Emphasis on the other word. Let's go to that one. All right, see, learn God's way. Teach me your decrees. Let me understand the teaching of your precepts. That's the only thing that matters right now. Be gracious to me through your law. This is about how we continue to move in the right direction. 
how we learn and understand what it means to move in God's direction over time in our lives and how it works, how it fits together, changing us in the process. This is a prayer, a request for understanding. Teach me that way, that direction that you've designed life to flow. Help me understand what it means, God. I know that your design, your way is full of grace. So please be sure to dump a bunch extra on me as I stumble along. This is a a prayer of someone whose posture in prayer and seeking God is one of willingness, of humility, of saying, It's not about my thing anymore. It's not about me doing it my way. Invest in me, God. Fill me with your way. Show me what to do. I don't want anything else anymore. Now, like I I said before, my tendency is to project horrible doom and gloom onto the future. When things are bad, my hypothetical worst case future scenario seems so real. It's all there is. And it can control a very hopeless present but I've got to lay down my way of seeing things or the way that my anxiety or depression tells me to see things or imagine things. And I've got to get on the same reality page with God and choose his way instead. And his way of teaching us is to use all the stuff of life, good, bad, and ugly as our education plan. And along the way, as we learn, we benefit the most When we do the very thing that Paul started talking about last week, when we choose to be inner life intentional, look at the way these verses are worded. I will meditate on your wonders. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes. I will meditate. I will think deeply and intently, God, in my inner life. I will remember with wonder and hope and not just think ahead with fear and dread. I'll remember with wonder and hope the amazing things you've already done that you've done for me. I've chosen. I've decided. My circumstances can't take that away from me. And even though I might be feeling anxious now, this is all settled. And thank you for that, God. I'm going your way and I want your truth in my reality. This is how someone who regularly struggles with depression and anxiety and fear and hopelessness can, at the very same time those things are going on, and in large part through those struggles, also be transformed into someone whose life is devoted to the work of God's kingdom and who also regularly experiences peace and joy, confidence and hope. In the middle of our anxiety-causing world, And it's never-ending parade of shallow distractions and self-conscious insecurities. We all want to be able to feel that peace in place of anxiety. And finally, there's this. Rise up and run. The last verse of the passage says, I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. And this, this in verse 32 is what I longed for that day back in college. Those are the words that really gave me hope. Not just that I could run, but this is written from somebody who actively is running, even as their reality is full of other things that pull at them and push them. I could run. Someday I could feel free. And then I started to hope for it, that it was possible. Then I actually started to do the things that would make it become reality. Very weakly and imperfectly at first, But this was about not a permanent new state of endless perfect running. This was about 
a broken sinner, a struggler learning to run as part of a process of learning to say it like it is, learning to be as desperate as I really am, learning God's way, God's way, and being inner life intentional. We each can learn to run with a free heart starting wherever we might happen to be right now. In every new experience of the inner life struggle, I come to a fresh realization of the truth of that next verse, Psalm 86, 17. I found this in the fourth floor chapel at Mayo Hospital downtown in Eau Claire, the year I worked there as a chaplain resident just a couple of years ago after a really traumatic season of life and, and previous ministry. And I just remember the feeling of, I can't do this. I can't do anything anymore, God. There's nothing I can fix. I've not, got no idea what I'm doing or where you are but I need you. Where are you? This verse was a reminder that it's not just about like going from zero to 60 and running. There's no running unless the power of God is at work lifting and restoring. And I realized that in spite of what my reality might look like, the truth is the actual real reality is that God is with me. And in some form at all times is actively, protectively, gently and powerfully putting me back on my feet. I want to read that verse. It says, make a show, God, of how much you love me. So the bullies, the circumstances, the anxieties that hate me will stand there slack-jawed as you, God, gently and powerfully put me back on my feet. God doesn't put us on our feet so we can just hope but so we can have a way to live even in an anxious reality. It's a way to live. Reality is full of things that cause anxiety. That's not gonna change. We can chemically struggle with things that, uh, that cause anxiety, that, that mean depression is a, an ongoing reality. We do feel dead sometimes. And yet our reality as followers of Jesus is also full of the potential to be alive. You see these arrows here. Now, you might think of this as a way of representing different stages of the journey, but it's not a one-time thing, and it's really not even a very linear thing when it all comes down to it. What I think of this as is more of a spiral, right? Okay, so it's, on my hopeless days, I'd be like, oh, no, it's just a cycle, and you just repeat it endlessly, and you go nowhere. It's terrible. But the truth is, we're moving in a direction, right? And so if we have an anxious reality, and we are here saying, I feel dead, guess what? Pretty soon... You're going to be spiraling forward like, wait, it's better. But then part of a spiral is the part where you start going down, right? And then the part where you start going backwards. And then the part where you're coming up again, it's like, wait, I've been here already. See, I am going nowhere. And then you want to give up hope. But the reality is you're just about to move forward. You're just about to move closer to where God awaits you where his instruction is guiding you. So don't forget that. As we journey into anxiety, through anxiety, we are moving in God's direction the entire time. So what now? I'm glad you asked, you guys. For next steps... I want to begin with prayer. We have a prayer room tonight. Tomorrow we'll have people back in the prayer room where you can go and begin to unload those anxieties and begin to be answered by the truth of God.
go down to the prayer room, right down in the fireside room, and meet with people who would love to gather with you and surround you with support and encouragement and prayer. Take a devotional on your way out. This is a guide through prayer this week for you personally, maybe even in a very anxious reality to begin to connect with God. One prayer that was reassuring to me in a season of deep anxiety was this one we'll put on the screen by Thomas Merton. I'm going to read it for us, but just see if the words don't sound a whole lot like you. And then know that you can pray just like this anytime, all the time. Here's the Merton prayer. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. The next thing I'll talk about is God's word. Crack it open. If you're a desperate college kid like I was, crack the thing open. If you're a young parent struggling to deal with life change and feeling hopeless about what's next, crack it open. If you feel like hope is gone, you've already tried everything you possibly can, crack it back open, you guys. Look up those things that you're curious about, that you're interested in, that would be meaningful to you, that would help answer your questions, that you're desperate for. And finally, community. Would you please take us up on the opportunities we make available to do life with other people, whether it's a group or volunteering or leading something? Don't journey through an inner life struggle alone. Over time at Jacob's Well, We just want to be very real about this. We hope to offer even more support and community for people struggling with mental health issues. Um, If you're here tonight and you're feeling desperate, find one of us and talk to us now. Or if you just aren't into that, you don't want to like have a connection thing. I get it. It's awkward, right? In church, it can get awkward. Go onto our website, uh, jacobswellchurch.church and go to our care page. You can fill out a form and have one of our awesome care champions contact you and be ministered to by someone who will just gently pray with you and journey with you. This is a place where we get it. I want you to know many of us here have been there, are there on any given day, in any area where you may be struggling too. And if you take steps toward connection and toward community, you'll realize, oh, there have been many others all along and we can find such strength in sharing our journey together. As we close, we're gonna close with a song of worship, asking for the presence of Jesus, our savior, to be all around us, to guide us, to fill us, to be above and below us and before us and behind us. He is... Now we get to become more aware of our need for it and the beauty of that reality. It's a way to hope. It's a way to live, even in an anxious reality. Please join me in prayer. God, we thank you for teaching us through pain, through anxieties, through depression and fear, for showing us at our lowest that you are there to lift us up. Would you lift now the soul 
the weary soul of any person in this place who has nowhere else to turn and needs you right now. Be with us and guide us, we pray. Amen.